We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's a quick warning up front. There's a slight crackle on John Bloom's mic in this episode. I did my best to get rid of it, but it's still there. So if it bothers you, I'm sorry. If not, stick around because this conversation is worthwhile. Joining me on the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast is John Bloom, voice of the Phoenix Suns postgame show for Arizona Sports 98.7 and the Northern Arizona Suns. John Bloom, how are you doing? I'm great, Mike. It's uh, good to be with you. I know that, uh, you know, there was a thought when you first asked me if I would uh, come do this uh, podcast with you that we'd be talking about, you know, potentially even a long win streak uh, because they were doing so well on the road. So, of course, I was running to say yes. Uh, and even after a couple tough losses at home, it's still, I feel, uh, an optimistic time right now at Planet Orange. Yeah, it's an interesting time to talk about this team because even though there was a, a really dramatic ending to the win streak in that Wizards triple overtime game, even in the losses that have come after that, they seem to be a different team. They're playing with a little bit different energy on the defensive end. You know, DeAndre Ayton's really getting after the rebounds. Devin Booker's become a lot more efficient than when he played earlier in the season. So even though it's a little bit of a different time, it feels pretty good still, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, look at the last uh, couple of games specifically, and I know we're going to get into it, but I mean, really, it's one bad quarter, and uh, that's enough to to make it difficult to win in the NBA when you've got uh, you know the roster made up the way it is. And we've we've already discussed that the last time I was with you, and I know we'll 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 kind of pick it apart today. But uh, you know, I just think. Really, when you zoom out as a Suns fan and as a broadcaster like me, uh, and you're, you're trying to evaluate this basketball team, 
I think wins and losses can't be what we're focused on. And while it is so much more fun to get the W and it makes my job so much easier when it's a win. Uh, you know, I think that it, it's not going to be the best barometer for this group because, you know, they're still kind of finding the way. And I think that that might take this entire season for everybody, top to bottom, from Coach Igor all the way through. Yeah, I mean, we are starting three rookies, after all, <laughs> in the starting lineup. Not a lot of teams are starting three rookies. And to expect them to be consistent night in and night out is a little, that's a, expecting a little too much as far as NBA history goes. It, there's never been a, really a team that's had rookies that perform every night, except no. for the best of the best. And, and maybe we have one of those, but probably not three of them, <laughs> three right. of them uh, in this starting lineup. So since the last time we recorded, uh, there were a few games to end that five-game road trip. So that five-game road trip, one of the longest of the season, uh, they ended three and two, including four overtime periods played, which were pretty insane. So let's start just quickly talk about that Wizards triple overtime game. That was a very dramatic ending of that win streak, as we talked about. Bradley Beal just never stopped and the rest of the team kind of ran out of steam towards the end. Now, a lot of people online were kind of pointing the blame of losing that game at Devin Booker. Now, do you think that's a fair thing? Devin Booker wants to be a superstar, obviously. He wants to be the, the big superstar of this team. And a lot of a lot of what could have happened to end that game was riding on his back at the end. There was that great possession against Trevor Ariza where he clearly got shoved from behind a little bit. It would have been a really fun ending to that first overtime game. And there were a couple shots that he kind of uh, missed towards the end there. How do you feel about Devin Booker's performance in that game? Yeah, let's just, uh, I like how you phrase it, Mike, because it's in that game, right? We're just focusing on that game alone. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I think he mm -hmm. put it on himself too. I think he'd agree with it. I think he'd tell you that there were stretches in all three overtimes where, you know, his decision-making wasn't where it needed to be, uh, whether it resulted in a forced shot, uh, a forced pass and a turnover, whatever it happened to be. But but let's be honest, that's that's an anomaly when it comes to Devin Booker in crunch time. And I'm not going to break down all the analytics, but uh, you certainly could take the time to go look it up if you want and see how Devin Booker has performed in crunch time for the first four years of his career, and it's pretty damn good. So uh, I'm not going to get on his case, but I would tell you that I think even he would, would admit, yeah, put that one on me. Uh, you know, down the stretch, there were so many chances to win that game. And, uh, boy, did they want to win. And, boy, did anybody who really uh, lives as a Suns fan would have wanted to win that game, too, after experiencing the Trevor Ariza saga uh, since, uh, you know, he's been cashing checks here and then makes his way over to D.C. And, and gets that feeling of a win against the team that traded him. But, you know, I, I think you wash that one away. It still was a competitive game. Um, I, I mean, I think the, the the Wizards on a great team. Obviously, now they're going to be without John Wall, so they've taken even a another big step back, I would think. And uh, and yet the Suns had a very successful road trip, and I don't think that ruined it. Yeah, I agree. It, I think it's a, as far as losses go, that's a good one, right? Because they showed a consistent effort all the way through against a team that was really playing really well. They were hitting a lot of shots. Bradley Beal was on fire that entire game, an incredible performance by Bradley Beal, a triple-double with 40-plus points, I believe, is what he ended with. So pretty crazy performance by him. Yep. Now, we talked before the season. That was the last time you you joined us on the podcast, right before the season started. So obviously, since then, the roster's changed a little bit, and one of the moves, as you talked about, was Trevor Reza going to the Wizards. 
And then Kelly Oubre coming back, and then, of course, Austin Rivers was involved for a brief period of time there. But the main pieces of that trade, as far as the Suns are concerned, are Trevor Reza out, Kelly Oubre in. So we've seen Kelly Oubre for quite a few games now. That was a big one for him. I'm sure he wanted to win that Wizards game going against the team that traded him. Uh, he's looked pretty good, played some defense, hit some shots, you know, not the most consistent scorer. Uh, looks a little out of control when he attacks the back basket, kind of like Josh Jackson a little bit. But uh, how do you feel about Kelly Oubre so far and, and as far as the experience watching him play? I like uh, Oubre. I like the skill set uh, and I like uh, his addition to this basketball team along with the subtraction of Trevor Ariza. I don't think it was a coincidence that uh, the team had an uptick after that move. Uh, and uh, and yet I think that the beauty part about this trade is that the Suns have control, and they basically get two-thirds of a season to let Oubre go out and audition for a part. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I don't know if you agree, Mike, but I look at it, and he's a restricted free agent, so it's not a lot that they're going to go sign him. If he does play the way he did in the first couple of games, and all of a sudden he's averaging double-digit points off the bench and maybe four or five rebounds and a couple steals, uh, you know, that price tag's going to go up. Is it going to be around a TJ Warren type deal? Now, granted, we got TJ on a steal as far as I'm concerned uh, with what he's making compared to what his uh, value is. And uh, if it's that type of deal, I, I I can stomach that. I think moving forward with a guy with, with uh, the length that Oubre has, the energy on defense, I think he can improve that three-point shot. It's not great right now, but he can drive it to the basket. So if he ends up getting a little bit of more consistency from deep, well, he's just going to be so much more dangerous going to the hoop. And we already have a couple other guys like that. I mean, Josh Jackson and Mikhail Bridges aren't necessarily that different than Kelly Oubre, but... Uh, I'm kind of in that camp of you can't have enough guys like that, especially if they can knock the jumper down. Uh, and TJ, man, has he come a long ways. I said it on the postgame show last night. I don't know how you feel about it, Mike, but there was a guy in the stands behind me yelling 3J every, every time he jacked one up. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I'm okay with that. I'm down with calling him 3J because he has earned that this season. It is amazing the improvement that T.J. Warren has had. In fact, I'm going to go so far to say that he's going to become one of those guys that people are going to talk about when they mention veterans becoming better at something. And even more specifically, guys who can add a three-point shot to their arsenal. I mean, how many could you think of that come to your mind that have done it better than him at that point in his career after four years in the league to make that jump from year four to year five? That's amazing. And I want to give him a lot of credit for doing it. I know it's come along with some other things that, that you don't love about TJ. He's been ejected a couple times and, and uh, you know, some poor decision-making on the floor that was surprising from a guy who barely opened his mouth coming into this year. But, uh, man, I, I'm blown away, and I'm down with calling him 3J. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's one of the most surprising things that's happened in the NBA all season. It's really a cr- kind of a crazy improvement in shooting more than doubling his three-point percentage. The Sam and I looked into it in a previous episode. The only sort of comparison was another Phoenix Sun, actually, in Channing Frye. The difference is Channing Frye had barely taken any three-pointers before he came to the Suns, and then he really increased it by, I think it was twenty over 20% as well, so a, a massive increase in that uh, three-point percentage. But I think I agree with you in your point about the wings as well. You you know, we're talking about guys like Kelly Oubre, Josh Jackson. Trevor Reza was one of those, or supposed to be uh, one of those guys. But it's, it's a funny thing where 
a lot of people are looking at the Suns and saying we have too many wings, but really, if you look at the playoffs, and really, ultimately, when you're building a team, you're building a team for the playoffs. I know it's probably a little looking a little far into the future right now to talk about the playoffs for the Suns, but when you're in the playoffs, you need guys that can switch. That's the most common defensive scheme in the playoffs, and then eventually, it all kind of breaks down to this one-on-one play. And if you have guys that are faster on their feet, they have long arms, and they're able to slide in front of guards, that's a good position to be in defensively. And I think that's another reason why the defense has looked so good the last few games. Lots of guys who can guard a lot of different positions. Now, after that Wizards game, there was a Brooklyn loss. And and that's a hard one because Brooklyn, they've been playing really well lately. But that was an, another game where I think the, the offense is starting to really revolve around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. So Devin Booker had 25 points, 9 assists, averaging quite a few assists in this since he came back from his injury. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton had 26 points and 18 rebounds. And you can just, I think that was one of those games where you can just see how the future of this team is an offense that revolves around the Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton pick and roll, and that building an offense around that is not going to be very difficult because both of those guys are so good in those positions. Now, a difficult loss still, but uh, you can just kind of see that offense growing, right? Totally. And uh, at the same time, I'm just going to say that that the Brooklyn game is a scheduling loss. I mean, that's uh, right. it's not just because they went triple OT the night before. But you know this, Mike, you've seen enough hoops. I mean, you know that when you can look mm-hmm. at the schedule in advance, even weeks in advance, and you can look at a game and go, okay, they're not going to win that one. I mean, that they got to fly from, you know, D.C. to Brooklyn. It's not a far – or to New York, but it's not, it's not a far flight. In fact, I was on that trip last year when Al McCoy had to take a, a bit of a break for a sinus infection and did that. Where well, we started in New York. We went to D.C. for a game, went back to New York for Brooklyn. Uh, and then on from there. And that's what they did on this trip. And it's not easy, even though it is a short flight. You get in, you got to get to your hotel in New York, which never is quick, even if you fly the way these guys fly, which was just ridiculous as another aside. And then, uh, um, you know, I, I just felt like Brooklyn's rested. They're going to get them. And they had been hot. And then they lost a game. Uh, you know, I ended their long win streak, which I think was seven or eight. So, uh, you just kind of saw that. that that You saw that coming. But I will agree with you on the Booker and Aiton thing. And, look, that's what we all kind of figured would be the case, that there's option number one and option number two. I think that the thing that, that kind of tripped us up in that is just how good T.J. Warren's been, where he's almost kind of, you know, mushed his way into that. And maybe he's option 1A in a lot of cases. But uh, I got a, a number for Devin Booker for you that I'll get to as we continue the conversation and we and we catch up with, with the last couple of games. Yeah, TJ Warren, it's an interesting thing where before the season, everyone looked at TJ Warren and said, that's the main trade piece that the Suns have. And I think part of that was because when you envisioned an offense around Booker and Aiton, you thought, well, TJ can't be in it if he continues shooting at the rate that he's shooting. And I think maybe TJ recognized that as well, and uh, and then he put the work in. That's it's really it. I think there was an interesting photo right after Igor Kokoshkov was hired. Right after his initial introductory press conference, there was a photo of him talking to TJ Warren one-on-one right outside of the press conference. And I do wonder what that conversation entailed, but I have a feeling that part of it was, hey, you need to shoot some threes, so you better start working on that three-point shot because we need you to spot up around this pick-and-roll if you want to be on this team and be successful on this team. And clearly he did. The the, the stories were that he put 40,000 shots up during the summer just to work on that three-point shot. But I think you're right. His efficiency is actually 
better than I believe Devin Booker so far this season. It's close to 60% true shooting. Devin Booker's around 56%. So saying 1A and 1 is it makes a lot of sense to me because if you're more efficient overall, then yeah, you should be taking a lot of those shots. Aiton's efficiency is just off the charts though. So after that Brooklyn loss came the Orlando game where the Suns were again involved in another overtime game. Now this was a very interesting game. First off, the most Devin Booker had ever scored against the Orlando Magic was 14 points. And in this game he had 35 eight and seven so more than double his previous high but I think the more interesting storyline from this Orlando game was DeAndre Ayton now DeAndre Ayton had one of his lowest scoring games of the season with only eight points but he had 12 rebounds and three assists and some clutch blocks now there's some arguments online whether or not he had four or five or three blocks depending on which box score you look at but uh, uh, three of them it looked like came in the overtime period and what's interesting to me is DeAndre Ayton gets a lot of flack, of course, for his defense. He's a rookie. He's, you know, very young, and he's still sort of learning what it takes to defend the pick and roll in the NBA, which is the most commonly used play. And in this game, he did not play great to start the game and really came through in the clutch in overtime with some great defense. Did this game give you more confidence in what DeAndre Ayton can be defensively in the NBA? Definitely, uh, because Mikey clearly was uh, a major reason they won the game in overtime. I mean, what did uh, Orlando go? One for 10, I believe. Is that what you said? And, and uh, a lot of that was because he was disruptive uh, and, and uh, active down low. So I think uh, while we talked about uh, the, the triple OT against the, the Wizards not going the Suns' way and then blowing opportunities, I mean, you could look at the Orlando game and say, hey, they didn't really take advantage much either offensively in those five minutes. Well, they scored four points, but it was enough to win. Uh, and that's really what it boils down to. And you want the big fella to understand what his impact on that side of the floor can do. There's no better way than to describe that as part of a victory in overtime on the road. So I was thrilled with that, and I do think that he can be that impactful moving forward. I mean, he continued to do some things uh, once they got home, and I thought uh, in the last game had another big impact with active hands and getting steals, which a lot of these guys are doing. And right now, what's so thrilling for me to watch is, yeah, we, we kind of expected him to be a double-double machine, and for the most part, he has been. In that game, he wasn't, but yet look at, at, at the praise we're giving him for impacting and, and helping them win. Uh, and in the meantime, then he's going to come back and throw a game up on the board like he did. I mean, look, I never would anticipate that he's going to have 24 points in a quarter on re- on the regular, but he did do that, and uh, that's also very enticing for Suns fans to see that the big fella can, can pull that off. Uh, when he puts it all together, ooh, man. I mean, I know right now everybody's uh, kind of bumming a little bit because Team Luca seems to be having all the bragging rights and pounding their chests without the, how good Doncic has been and how good the Mavs have been. I'm not selling any stock on DeAndre Aiden, and it's not just because of 33 and 14 last night. I just believe in this guy, and I feel like he's one of those guys that's paying attention to everything. And when you pay attention to everything, you can go two ways. Sometimes you're overloaded. You're thinking too much. And I think that's the way you are usually when you're young. Uh, But then once you start to really digest all that information, it can make you just so much more effective. And I think in the long run, it's going to do that for for DeAndre. Yeah, I think, you know, after that 
three and two road trip, those five games, lots of confidence building. They came back to some really difficult back to back games in OKC and Denver, but eight and throughout was incredible. And and to to that point, since the four game. Uh, win streak until the Denver loss. DeAndre Ayton is averaging 20 points, 13.1 rebounds, one block, 1.4 steals, 1.3 assists. Uh, He would be in that time, he would be fifth in the NBA in rebounding and second overall in offensive rebounds. He has over five offensive rebounds per game. And I think what was interesting going into this streak was Aiton was getting a lot of flack about needing to be aggressive, some people calling him soft. And and I think that was sort of mucking it up a little bit for him because what they were doing is giving him the ball a little too far away from the basket and asking him to create for himself. And that aggressiveness turned into some missed shots, um, some fouls, some turnovers, because that's just not his game. What I think the coaching staff did well going into that win streak and then since then was clarify what that aggression needs to be. It's not about trying to create your own shot 18 feet away from the basket, especially when Devin Booker wasn't in the game. It's more about attacking the offensive glass, boxing out, being aggressive before going up with your shot, kind of using his butt and his shoulders a little bit to yep. create some space down low. Uh, and and I think that that made a huge difference because that, that that aggression needs to be we saw it a lot in this Denver loss you just talked about the 24 points in one quarter that aggression comes from running the floor getting your uh creating space early in the shot clock to try and get the ball fast and then attacking the glass and i think that sort of clarification of what being aggressive can be for a big man in the way the nba works now compared to you know it's he's not Hakeem. he's not you know it's not that old school style where you need to catch the ball create for yourself face up post up for 10 seconds that's not the game anymore no it's about moving fast and attacking the glass and i think that's been the big to me that's been the big difference in how he's been playing in this, since that win streak started, and then early on in the season, especially after Devin Booker went out and everyone just kind of expected him to create for himself and score 25 points a game, it's just not possible uh, with a rookie at this point in, in his career. Do you, did you notice that, or do you agree with that take? I do, and I think uh, you know specifically what I've seen more, Mike, is the aggressiveness on the offensive glass. You pointed out his numbers, but uh, you know sometimes you can be aggressive yet not successful. And in fact, it can hurt you because then you're getting beat the other way. What I love about DeAndre is, is he, he's now crashing the offensive board. Several of those buckets he got in that quarter uh, were on the offensive glass. And yet at the same time, if he doesn't get it, he puts on the, the burst to get back in transition. And uh, that's what you want from your big, because now we understand what he can do when he is back on that side of the floor and, uh, you know, being being a rim protector. I still don't think it's it's really a natural instinct yet for him being the offensive rebounder and being that guy who is doing all of the dirty work down low. Because, again, remember last year at U of A, he wasn't that guy. He was, uh, you know, playing outside a lot and not crashing the glass. And uh, so this is really year one of this type of thing. And so for him, if you're grading on a curve, man, he's way ahead of it. And I know that a lot of other rookies are performing too, but don't get that. Don't let that get you down, Suns fans. If you're looking around and saying, man, why can we have that guy? Why can we be happy who you got? This guy is going to be really good. He's 20, should be a sophomore in college, and he's out there dominating a quarter against one of the best teams in basketball, the best team in the Western Conference, and he took over a game. 
He was outscoring the Denver Nuggets midway through the second quarter, 18 to 16. I mean, this is an amazing thing for a 20-year-old to go and do. And I think we're just scratching the surface with them. And I don't think I'm completely out there saying that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We've been very high on him here on the timeline. So, And even still... Like you said, Luka Doncic is the guy that people like to bring up. And it's hard now because it's difficult to even have a conversation about DeAndre Ayton without him coming up just anywhere, even even on this podcast or online, on Twitter, Reddit, wherever you are. That tends to be the conversation. And, and those guys are probably going to be intrinsically tied for the rest of their careers, which is kind of a cool thing because that means that there's going to be two really great players coming from this draft. But it, sometimes it makes, like you said, Suns fans can feel a little down about it. But I think it's important to remember that Luka Doncic played in a professional league before coming to the NBA, so he was very prepared for the rigors of the NBA when he started. And for, for DeAndre Ayton, he came out of college where they play 35 games a season, and it's not the same level of competition as any professional league, regardless of it, it being the NBA or Euro League. Those guys are they're men. He's playing against men. Yep. So eight or sorry, Doncic was just prepared right out of the gates, and Ayton took a little bit of time. But you can see him putting it together, and that's that's actually one of the most exciting things about watching a team like the Suns, right? There's not a lot of wins uh, coming with this team, but you're aware that we're starting three rookies, and you're aware that this is the first time that Devin Booker has really been surrounded by guys that make sense with his skill set. So you're able to see these guys grow and become the players that they're going to be in their prime, and you can see it already with DeAndre, and, and you can see some flashes with DeAnthony Melton, and you can see it with Mikhail Bridges as well. I think the interesting thing is the OKC game and the Denver game, back-to-back games again, by the way, one week with two sets of back-to-backs, you know, uh, with that uh, Wizards-Brooklyn game, and then, of course, very difficult back-to-back in OKC and Denver, the best defensive and best offensive teams back-to-back. But the interesting thing about those two games, talking about them together, is that OKC game, they were really good for three quarters, and then they just got demolished in the fourth, which is to be expected against a team that plays defense like them. But then that Denver game, it was kind of the opposite, where it took a while for them to get going, and then they really turned it on in the fourth quarter, and they brought it really close at the end of that game. And I think when you're watching a team like the Suns, these are the types of things that you're going to expect. They are young guys, and the ups and the downs, they're going to be like this for a while. You know, hopefully they can really put it together by next season, but I think this season is going to be a lot of games like those two games, hopefully less back, back-to-backs going forward. But uh, that that's kind of what it's like to watch the Suns in, in a small microcosm there. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, totally the, uh, the back-to-backs against those two teams who are battling for the top spot in the West. The nice thing is, you know, they get a real breather after it uh, and, and only get to play Golden <laughs> State on New Year's Eve. No, I'm joking. This, but this is kind of ridiculous. You, you go on a five-game East Coast trip, you feel great about your progress and your success and winning three of the five and haven't done that in four years, and you come home to a seven-game homestand. That's awesome. Oh, by the way, your first three against the three best teams in basketball. Good luck with that. We're going to roll it out and uh, see how you do. Now, I, I think, look, they did do very well if you look at the whole product of those two games because you played uh, Oklahoma City extremely tough until the Russell Westbrook show took over in the fourth quarter, and everybody, including those of us in the stands, got caught watching including those on the floor wearing the black and orange. So for me, uh, that's that story. Russell Westbrook took over, Suns ran out of gas, and uh, they pulled away in the fourth quarter. The disappointing thing was the next night 
you got the Denver Nuggets coming off of a home game, and they're on a back-to-back, so you know it's important. Get out to a quick start. Remind them they're tired, too, and uh, this is the drill in the NBA. But it was the Nuggets and the Jamal Murray show that started in the first quarter, and we were all caught watching that. And then at that point, they're down 20 going into quarter number two, and you're thinking this could be a boat race. It's going to get really ugly. We've lived through this already. And then a pleasant surprise. Suns came alive. DeAndre Ayton goes for 24 in that quarter. Uh, He ends up with a career-high 33. They do scare the Nuggets a little bit down the stretch with some threes from Mikael Bridges and uh, Devin Booker taking over. And so that was exciting to watch in the end because even though they laid an egg in the first quarter, uh, fans got to see a lot of excitement after that. Uh, and, And the other thing that stood out to me in both these games, Mike, was the fans. Uh, I want to give Planet Orange a lot of love for showing up in a big way on Friday night against Oklahoma City. That was the best vibe in that gym that we've had all year. I, I, I think it was even better than opening night. And opening night was great. But uh, And I'm not talking about the result. The, the win over the Mavericks was awesome to start the season. But just the vibe, it almost felt playoff energy in there. And, and that's weird when you got a 9-26 and 26 team, which is what they were before that game. Uh, so, uh, you know, then the next night I anticipated that it would be a bit of a drop-off energy-wise after the loss, and it was, but it still was a good crowd. And, man, I hope this continues because it shows kind of the appreciation that, that this town has for the effort that we're getting out of this young group and maybe the understanding uh, that the record is so bad. Because a lot of places, if you were to look at a 9-27 and basketball team, they wouldn't come close to filling a gym. Don't forget to give us a call on the Hot Take Hotline, 530-433-4368. Save it in your phone right now, 530-433-4368. Yeah, and, and by the way, let's let's get to the Devin Booker. A um, couple things on, on Deep Book. Uh, I, I don't need to tell everybody here how good this kid is because we see it. But the rest of the world needs to know. And part of the way we can help make that happen is vote him to the All-Star game. I know it's still, you know, you look at the last place team, do they deserve a guy in that game? And it's been a long time since Steve Nash laced it up to represent the Suns in the All-Star game. Uh, but I, I do think he deserves it. There are, and, and you might have this number, but uh, there are a handful of guys since 1983 when they really added, uh, you know, keeping stats uh, that have done what Devin Booker has done over the course of the last six games. Average, he, he's had more than 25 points and seven assists in each of the last six games. The only guy who was keeping in step with him was James Harden, who came one assist short last night. He went for 41, had six assists, and so he's no longer in the conversation. It's now Booker leading this charge in the NBA this year. But if you look at the list of guys that have done this since 83, the two old school dudes, I know you all know it's Michael Jordan and magic Johnson. All right. If you don't know them, then go spend some quality time on the internet today. Do yourself a favor, watch (laughs) some footage of magic Johnson and Michael Jordan, two of the all time greats. Don't have to say any more about those guys. Then the other guys on that list, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Those four guys, your boy Devin Booker, 
and Magic and Mike. So to me, this is what this kid's doing. He's 22. I mean, we're taking it for granted. Uh, and, and I know you all agree with me how great he is, but there are a couple things that can help uh, you know, the, the rest of the world understand that, and seeing him in that All-Star game would be great. I kind of felt like after he won the three-point shootout last year that this was going to be his year, that he's going to get there. And it's, it, it is kind of a popularity contest and combined with an achievement award. And, and man, I mean, is there anybody else that's more deserving in the Western Conference? Granted, there are a lot of better teams, guys playing in you know, pressure situations, getting wins, and helping their team set up for the playoffs. And I get that argument, but uh, this guy deserves to be there. So I got a bunch of stats for you, actually. Um, Devin Booker is averaging 25 points and 7 assists, and he has over a 55% true shooting percentage, so measuring his efficiency on that. And I think the efficiency is important when you factor these things in. So the only player ever to average those numbers at a younger age than Devin Booker is an MVP in LeBron James. The only players to average those numbers at Devin Booker's age were MVP Derrick Rose and MVP Oscar Robertson. Since Devin Booker joined the league, the only players to average those numbers at that efficiency are MVPs LeBron James, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook. Now, you can kind of see a theme there. Yeah, He's putting up... If they were winning, he would be in the MVP conversation right now. Not saying that he would win it because James Harden is otherworldly. And, of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo has been incredible as well. But the point is, not very many players have done what he's doing. And the ones that have all won MVPs at some point in his in their careers, their respective careers. So it's it's a crazy thing to think that Devin Booker could win an MVP at some point in his career. But at this point, when you're looking at the way that he's improved year after year after year, especially when he came into the league as someone who never really ran any pick and rolls at all in college and was not known as a playmaker at all. In fact, his biggest comparison coming into the league was Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson yep. does not really handle the ball at all. No. His biggest performances in his career, he had like nine or ten dribbles. He, he's just <laughs> not a guy who does what Devin Booker does. So I agree with you. I think I think what is an all-star if not a guy averaging 25 points and seven assists at really high efficiency numbers and even a lower efficiency for his career after he came back from his injury, he's actually even more efficient than he was to start the season. So his efficiency will be even higher by the time this season ends so I think you're definitely right about that you know and I think he also has improved his effort on defense he's actually averaging a steal and a half over the last 13 games shout out to uh, Chris Hansen for uh, bringing that up so uh, you know the combination of the insane playmaking his assists are going up every game as well it seems like it's actually been eight assists I think that he averaged over the last something like 10 games and, and, of course, we talked about the efficiency and the improved defense. So, yeah, I don't know. what What is an all-star, right, <laughs> if not this? <laughs> exactly. And now we'll see, you know, if he can continue to, to you know, make some statements with, with the games we got coming ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a, t- it's, it's a tough week, as we talked about. But I think it could be a really fun week of games. First of all, the Golden State Warriors. Now, of course, not the best time to play the Golden State Warriors for a couple of reasons. Now, in a sense, you think, well, they're not playing very well right now, right? Maybe it is a good time to play against the Golden State Warriors. But when a team like the Golden State Warriors is not playing great, 
and they see the Suns on the schedule, they're just kind of, they're licking their chops a little bit. (laughs) They're saying, okay, that's where we get back on track. We can take it out on their defense. Now, I do, I am really excited to see what Devin Booker and DeAndre do in this game because as we know, whenever teams play former championship teams, they tend to get up for it. So obviously it'll be a difficult game, but what, what do you think about that game going into it? Well, uh, a couple things. Uh, yes, it's going to be difficult. And yes, I still think the Warriors are the odds-on favorite to win another title uh, and the best team in the world in basketball. But uh, my focus is different, and this is going to maybe take some people back. But you know, I've got this thing where I've been trying to speak some things into existence, you know, uh, when you when you do the, the whole visualization thing. But then there's a next level thing where you're actually saying what you're visualizing. So, uh, Phoenix, listen up. Uh, I believe we are all auditioning on New Year's Eve here in the Valley uh, in, in order to uh, make an impression on a certain all-star slash MVP who has been mentioned on this podcast already to convince him that this is where he needs to come to rid the stigma he has earned by joining a team full of all-stars and instead come to a team full of budding all-stars and lead them to the promised land for their first ever championship. Do I have to go any deeper in explaining what my thought process is, Mike, going into New Year's Eve? Let's show KD or the Durantula, as I like to call him. I know he hates that name, but I like calling him the Durantula. Uh, let, let's show him why this is where he needs to come in the offseason. James Jones, Jamal Crawford, do your thing. You know, cozy up to him, have some nice conversation. I'm not trying to get the tampering, you know, sirens uh, going right now in the NBA because I'm not involved in that way. But uh, my thought is, Phoenix, come strong like you did on Friday night for the Thunder game. Bring it for the Warriors game. I know there's going to be a bunch of bandwagoners wearing the Steph Curry jerseys. (laughs) They're going to be all around you. There'll be some 35s, too. There'll be some KD jerseys in there. Uh, And that's fine. But uh, do your part, be loud and proud of the Suns, and maybe, just maybe, New Year's Eve will make an impression on a, a young man who, who's still, he's still a young man, right? I could still call him that. Uh, and, and boy, yeah. would it be fun to have him plugged into this young group. And I'm telling you right now, if there was a guy that could flip the switch overnight for a franchise, that's the dude. Absolutely. You know, actually, and this is kind of an interesting point to, to, to talk about this conversation, but something that's come up in the Suns circles online is potentially trading our first round pick for this next upcoming draft. And if you're trying to build a team that becomes a free agent destination, that's, I think, when that pick becomes a little more expendable. And, I, you know, I put it out on Twitter today and I just sort of asked Suns fans, who would you be willing to trade our first round pick for? And some of the obvious ones come up. Uh, Kemba Walker is one of them, which is hard because he's a free agent coming up. So maybe we shouldn't have to. But if you're trying to sign another guy like Kevin Durant, you can clear the salary by trading our pick with a guy like Ryan Anderson, get Kemba Walker, and then still have space to sign an all-star along with Kemba Walker in the next offseason. It's an interesting move that could potentially be made. And then uh, Damian Lillard always comes up. I still don't believe that there's any way that the Trailblazers are going to move him. Another one is Drew Holiday. Uh, you know, some Suns fans would be willing to trade, and that's the whole thing, right? If Anthony Davis decides he doesn't want to sign his extension, then the Pelicans do? are probably going to have to move Anthony Davis, and they might as well blow it all up. And, and the Suns' first-round pick would be a pretty good haul for Drew Holiday, especially, 
you know, if the Suns could protect it, it, maybe top two, top three protected, that would be even better. But those types of moves would make the Suns an interesting free agent destination for a guy like Kevin Durant. I think it's difficult to say that he would want to join us without any sort of uh, point guard. He needs a few guards around him, I think, to be as effective. Have you thought about trading that pick, and do you think it would even be worthwhile to, to maybe at least shop it at this point? No question in my mind, Mike. No question in my mind. They should be shopping. They should be looking at every potential target, not just the guys you mentioned, many more, and some who we probably haven't even considered. This is what they should be doing. And and uh, the reason is kind of uh, multifold, if you will. Uh, I don't know if it's just twofold because you, you a uh, it's it's a value and and draft picks have massive value as we know uh, especially when they're super or potential of being super high picks. Uh, b uh, right now we got enough kids. It's been a daycare center for the last few years. We don't need to keep this going, man. We need adults and uh, we need grown ups. And I think it's clear as day. And it doesn't mean they're going to get all the right grown ups. We've already kind of swung and missed on some guys, but. Uh, you need those guys to come in and help you win basketball games because you don't do it with kids. And I know our kids are going to grow up, but how patient can you be with 20, 21, 22-year-olds when you know it's a three, four, five-year down the road process unless you bring in guys that can help expedite that? And that, in my opinion, means guys that can take the bulk of the minutes. doesn't mean guys coming in being mentors and saying, hey, this is how a road trip goes. And, you know, we're going to pack first and then we're going to leave. Right? No, it's not that stuff. I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to laugh at them and say uh, that these 18, 19 year olds should know how everything is off the court. That's great, too, to have the veteran leadership from that standpoint. We need guys who can ball. We need guys who can go out there mm-hmm. and win games. And uh, and so, yeah, trading the first round pick, that's going to be a way to get one of those guys. And uh, we'll see if, if that's what they end up doing. And, and you're right. I mean, the point guard, I know we haven't spent a lot of time talking about that position. Uh, this may end up being <laughs> Devin Booker's career high in assists. You know, I wouldn't be mad at that mm-hmm. because it would mean we probably have a bona fide point guard next to him. Uh, he's still going to get his because this has opened up a, a whole new realm for Devin Booker because he's been forced into this role. So I think in the end, it's a positive for him long term and for the Suns long term. But, yeah, let's get a guy who's really the court general out there. There's no questions about who it is going into next season. I think that should be the goal. Absolutely. And you think about a guy like DeAndre and, and his development, it's been great with Devin Booker. And, and, you know, obviously they're developing that chemistry together, but add another guy who can get him the ball easily. And this his his production will go up even another level. So he's got a difficult one, though, DeAndre Ayton, on Wednesday because Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers are coming to town in the only game where the Philadelphia 76ers will be here in Phoenix. This is obviously one of those games where before the season even started, Suns fans and 76ers fans were circling this game and saying, okay, this is the one This is the one that we want. We want this one to be a win here in Phoenix because, as we know, there was some trash talk back and forth between the two centers, which I loved because the fact that Joel Embiid even felt the need to talk about DeAndre Ayton is a good sign for DeAndre Ayton and his future because, uh, you know, if he wasn't a threat at all, he wouldn't be in his head. Uh, exactly. But as we know, these guys have gone back and forth. They've played once already. A good game, too. DeAndre Ayton looked good, and, and Embiid obviously looked good. The Philadelphia 
Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia 76ers came a game, uh, away with the win, but uh, the Suns still fared pretty well in that game. I'm excited about this game. Are you excited about this one? I am. It's just so crazy that it's not getting big billing because of everything that comes before it. You know, the fact that they're playing the top three teams in the West. Uh, oh, and then the Sixers come to town. So I think it's it's all based on <laughs> scheduling. We would be circling this thing if it wasn't for the fact that we got the champs on New Year's Eve right before it. But, uh, yeah, let's, what, what a way to start out 2019 and what a way it would be to start out 2019 with a win over that team. Yeah, that, I think that's the one I want the most this week. Not that a win against Golden State wouldn't be very satisfying. It's just to see DeAndre Ayton dominate Joel Embiid would be a highlight of the season for me. So I would like to see it. And, it, you know, the big men don't stop coming Friday the Clippers are in town. This is a, a week of home games, by the way. I should have said that to start this segment off here, but it's a whole week of home games, so it's nice to have that. And the Clippers, of course, they got Boban, and we saw the first time. So this will be the third time we're playing the Clippers. We saw the first time that DeAndre Ayton lined up against Boban. He was a bit struck by the size of that giant. And then the second time, he adjusted really well and was very physical in his boxing out. And I think that if, and you know, it seems like, Doc Rivers is planning on playing Boban a lot of minutes, and I think if he gets lined up against Boban again for a long stretch in this game coming up, I think DeAndre Ayton has a chance to really dominate that matchup. Boban's big, and he's good, but he's slow, and DeAndre Ayton is not that. He's very, very fast for his size, so I think he has an advantage uh, speed-wise in that matchup. So the Clippers are obviously very good, but uh, that, that matchup, I think, can go our way. How do you feel about that Clippers game on Friday? Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, that first game is long in the past, that matchup where Boban got in DeAndre's head and, and DeAndre just seemed like he was paralyzed. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen again. Uh, you know, the Clippers are better than I thought they were going to be. So it's going to be a tougher mm-hmm. matchup. But uh, again, probably the most winnable game, at least of the first five on the homestand. I think so, too. You know, and that's actually kind of scary in a little bit of a way because, uh, you know, they were the top of the West for a while. And the fact that that's one of the more winnable games is a little bit scary. But, yeah. you know, they don't really have, you know, it's 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 the sum is greater than the pieces. It, it's that type of team where they all play together very well, and in a sense, they're just sort of auditioning for free agents next season, all year long. Because you add a guy like Kawhi Leonard to that team, and then they become a potential championship contender. Uh, speaking of auditioning free agents, Kemba Walker and the Charlotte Hornets will be in town a week from uh, you know a week from now next Sunday. Uh, so that'll be the Suns' chance to see. Kemba Walker in person and to see if that's the type of guy who you can add to the Suns team in free agency. Now, I think Charlotte's going to offer him as much money as they can, but maybe the Suns can make the right case for him, especially if they really show out with guys like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton in that game. How do you feel about Kemba Walker in general as a potential target for the Suns? I like Kemba. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, there's there's a couple things in in Kemba's game that to me, uh, you know, may not be the best fit next to a Devin Booker. Um, you know, the amount of shots, he's a volume shooter too. So, you know, is, is it my choice a for point guard for the Suns? No. Would he be great to watch and, and a great addition to Phoenix? Absolutely. Um, and so we'll see. I, I think there's not a lot of guys like Kemba Walker in the league. 
Absolutely not. And I think, you know, something Sam and I have been talking about all season is I'd like to have a point guard next to Devin Booker that can shoot threes off the dribble. He's one of those guys that can do that. So it would be an interesting fit, but I am a little bit worried about spending money wisely. We are the Suns, and we got we can't sign up a guy uh, like that if he's not going to be the perfect fit. You know, this type of cap space doesn't come very often. So John Bloom, voice of the Phoenix Suns postgame show for Arizona Sports 98.7 and the Northern Arizona Suns, thank you so much for joining me. Do you have any New Year's resolution either for you or for the Suns? Um, you know what? I started the diet way early, uh, you know, doing the whole revitalized thing like Vince Murata. You probably heard it on 98.7 mm-hmm. FM. So I'm not along with the rest of the crowd doing that because I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of the game there. Uh, so, yeah, New Year's resolutions basketball wise. How about more of what we've seen over the last week and a half? How about that? Let's just keep seeing this. Let's keep seeing consistent effort, energy, uh, growth from the young guys. And if that's the case, I think this team's going to be in good shape going into the offseason, seeing what they do, if they tinker more with the front office, if they stay with the guys they've got, and then what they do with this roster moving forward. I'm a fan of Igor. I like what, what this staff can do. I think they deserve you know, some time to, to grow as well. And uh, so that, that's my uh, hopes moving forward. I hope we have a great 2019. I hope all your listeners do as well. And, Mike, thanks for uh, having me on today. Of course, of course. My one New Year's resolution for the team, shop that pick. Go ahead and shop it. It's okay. I don't think Suns fans will hold it against you. And don't forget to give John Bloom a call after one of these Suns games. Let him know you heard him on the timeline and he did a great job. Thank you so much, John. Thanks, Mike. It's just, I don't know, it's just a mindset. You know, I, you know, it's just a certain pride. You know, time to rise, that, I take that as a, that's, 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 to me, that's something I take deeply. And, you know, we just have to live up to that type of, you know, name. And, you know, this is our home court. So I don't, I don't expect guys to come up in here and think they could just beat us like that. So our team wasn't having that. So, I mean, obviously we lost, but we try to put up the biggest fight we can. And then hopefully, you know, it surprised them about that. You just wrapped up another episode of The Timeline. I love this podcast. And if you're like me, you want as much Suns content as possible. That's why I listen to the timeline every week. So if you want to go ahead and hear some more Phoenix Suns content, go ahead and listen to the solar panel at Phoenix Suns Show. We are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, go ahead and check out the solar panel a Phoenix Suns Show. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.